everybody and welcome back to another round of Disney movies. We've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 movies this time around. For your listening pleasure, I take a trip down Nostalgia Lane. I think one of these movies we talk about for something like 20 minutes. Um, it's we got we got some we got some long ones in here, and uh, it's it's a good one. Um, I estimate we've probably got another two to maybe three episodes left of uh, of this kind of bonus mini series of me watching every Disney animated movie on Disney Plus. Um, many of the movies are not strictly Disney movies. I, well, this time around, I would say they are. Um, but coming up, we've got like some weird, obscure things that have been kind of migrated into Disney Plus because of purchases of other studios that Disney has gone through. So that's exciting. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. Nothing of my shilly shallying. Let's fucking get into it. Pocahontas, 1995. It's all right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's okay. It's not the best Disney movie, not by a long shot, but it's also far from the worst. Um, I mean. Pocahontas has been dissected and talked of a thousand times over because of the, uh, you know, racism. But it's one of those things where it's like, I I think they did a, a fair amount of research. Obviously, the movie is wildly historically inaccurate because... Pocahontas was like six or something absurd when John Smith came to the New World. Um, and in reality, Pocahontas married somebody named like John Rolfe. Um, it was a completely different dude. And John Smith was an asshole. So, right, like, not even from like a race point of view. The movie's historically inaccurate as a motherfucker. None of it's right. Not, not, not one. The only thing they got right was the name of Jamestown. Because it's called Jamestown. That's it. Everything else is wrong. Or at least blown. Or it's like, it's all construed and stuff like that. And obviously the decision to age Pocahontas up, according to Wikipedia at least, was done. So they were socially responsible and not historically accurate. Um, which is a first for Disney movies because nine times out of ten, those princesses are underaged. Um, and all of their relationships and pretty much every Disney movie is disgusting. So, you know, there's, there's that. I believe Pocahontas is like one of the oldest canonical Disney princesses. I believe in this movie she's 18. Um, I don't know for sure. I don't think they ever really had like official ages, but Pocahontas is, you know, she's supposed to be a young adult, not, and by young adult, I mean like 18 to like 22. Like she's supposed to be in that range. She is not a teenager in this movie. She was in the in the reality of this situation, but she's not here. Um, I would equate... See, here's the thing, right? You got songs called Savages. Um, the movie refers to them as Injuns. Um, all of those things are terrible. I don't think the movie itself is racist. I think the characters in the movie are racist, and that's a big distinction. It's, this, it's the same argument I would make for Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles has a fuck ton of racist characters. And they say a lot of horrible things in that movie. The movie itself is not racist, though. That's the whole point of the movie, is that it's not racist. 
It's 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 playing off of those those fucking stereotypes. That's like the entire point of the film. And I think it's the same thing with Pocahontas. I believe the the Native American representation in Pocahontas was researched for the most part. Um, from what I can tell, the majority of the cast for the the, the native side is oh god, is um, authentic. Uh, which I can't say for the English side, because what you've got Billy Connolly who's Scottish, you've got Christian Bale. I know, right? Christian Bale, Mel fucking Gibson, who, for all of his own fucking faults, um, saying his own lines in this movie in a time when that wasn't a thing, um, especially in the Disney Renaissance period, they brought in singers nine times out of ten to sing for these characters. But Mel Gibson saying his own lines, so. You know, their credit where credits do, I guess. Apparently, Mel Gibson went on the record saying like he wanted to do something that his kids could watch, and I can appreciate that. This was um, either right before, um, I think it was, I think it was right before um, Mel Gibson kind of went off the deep end and said a, hor- a whole bunch of horrible anti-Semitic things um, because he's a monster. Anyway, um, yeah, like obviously I can't ignore the songs. Just Around the Riverbend and Colors of the Wind are two all-time Disney classics that came out of this movie. The other songs are pretty forgettable. Um, as in, I can't even tell you what they're called because I've already forgotten them. Just Around the Riverbend has always been one of my favorites. And obviously the the animation for Colors of the Wind with the cool watercolor like like swirly effect is really fun. I love that. Um, I, I wish... They were more than surface level characters. I mean, it's a pretty simple story. It's been told a lot of times in a lot of different ways. You've got Dances with Wolves, you've got Avatar, you've got Pocahontas. Like those those all follow the same basic line of a plot. But these characters are incredibly one-dimensional. Everybody's got like one fucking personality trait, and then that's it. And Pocahontas spends the vast majority of the time talking about a fucking dream she had. You never once see the dream. It's just spoken about. We don't witness it as an audience member. Which, I don't care how fucking revered this shit is. That's bad storytelling. It's the exact same shit where Obi-Wan and Anakin talked about how great of friends they are. You don't actually see them being good friends. You're told about it. It's being told and not shown. So that whole fucking thing kind of falls flat, which is really bad because that's kind of the whole point of the fucking movie is that she had a dream that something was coming and it was going to be like her life's purpose, right? And of course, that's exactly what happens, but you don't fucking see the dream unless you could argue that like the dream is realized throughout the course of the movie in which to that, I would say, fuck you. No, it isn't. Um, so yeah, it's fine. I also appreciate the fact that like, this movie ends with them not together. That has to be one of the only Disney movies where the Disney princess, which Pocahontas is, she's the chief's daughter, therefore technically a princess, um, does not end up with the prince. Like, they like each other. They say love. They've known each other for like fucking a week and a half. So let's pump the brakes on that. But I suppose it is classic Disney tradition that the princess or the prince or whatever declares undying love for somebody they, they've met like 24 hours ago. Um, 
they they like each other. They they want to be together, but they can't because John has to go back to England because he has a bullet wound, and Pocahontas has to stay with her people. And that's how the movie ends: is them not being together. And then apparently some dipshit had the brilliant idea of having the sequel completely counteract that. Um, and they bring Pocahontas to London, which I believe is actually what happened because Pocahontas married, um, somebody named John Rolfe, which I've already spoken about. So I'm pretty sure she actually does go to London, um, in reality. So I'm not faulting them for that so much, but it's just like, it does take the legs out underneath you when you do directly counteract the ending of the previous film with more unnecessary bullshit. I haven't seen Pocahontas 2. I'm about to. So we'll we'll talk about more about that later on. Outside of the songs and some decent animation, there's really not a whole lot going on for this movie. Judy Kahn, who provides the singing voice for Pocahontas, is a goddamn treasure. And that's about it. That's about the only like decent things about this movie. You take the good parts out. Uh, what a stupid sentence this is. You take the good parts out and it's bad. Well, no fucking shit. But there are not many decent parts about this film and the rest of it's just kind of middling it just kind of rides the line so because of the two iconic songs and because of the animation and because of the to the best of my knowledge i'm far from an expert but to the best of my knowledge this seems to be somewhat decent representation at least it seems somewhat accurate i have absolutely no idea it probably isn't um but I, I, I do stand by the statement that the movie is not racist, but the people in it are. I think is I think it's the it's the key distinction on that. I give Pocahontas a six out of ten. There's way better shit out there. There's way better classic Disney movies out there. But just like everything, there are also worse ones. And um, to be honest, I thought it was gonna be better than it was, and I found myself fast forwarding through big parts of it because I just could not give a fuck. Let's get disappointed by the sequel. I am not currently in the mood for Pocahontas 2, Journey to a New World, therefore fuck that movie. Is that petty? Yes. But, no. I'm not, I'm not sitting through that. It's only like 67 minutes long, but the second that it started going, like the whole like, you can't go across the water and talk to the king that's for men to do, darling. You're but a woman, you don't understand the subtleties of diplomacy. Eat a dick. Stupid movie. Because it's so fucking obvious. Like, what the hell is about to go down? I don't even care if it is actually about her falling in love with John Rolfe, which is what was done in the original history. Like, that's how it actually happened. And Pocahontas did go across the water and whatever. And the only thing that this movie changed about the accuracy of those things is that Pocahontas died in real life. And in this movie, she and John Rolfe go back to the New World. Or Virginia, I guess. And to theoretically spend out their days. I read the goddamn Wikipedia synopsis. Um, so I knew basically what happened. But it's just like... It's so fucking one, one note, one dimensional. Like, women can't do things. Oh wait, they can! Oh, that's so fucking interesting! And then that's the whole fucking movie. And there was some songs, but I was just... I'm not... No. Animation-wise, it's whatever. It... It's obviously of lesser quality than the original. I will say that this is probably the shortest gap between theatrical major Disney movie and straight to DVD Disney movie. It was a three year gap. So clearly Disney wanted this done. 
but it's just like yes yes I'm just I'm just not in the mood for it. Honestly, if I did finish it, it probably would be like a fucking four. I didn't finish it, so I'm not going to give it an official rating. But in case you do pal your way through that, you're gonna get a four out of it. You're gonna get a four out of four out of ten. Um, not worth the investment on my part or on yours. Let's move on to the next one. Grand Adventure, The Search for Christopher Robin. When I was a kid, I loved this movie. I've seen it again as an adult. And I don't like it as much. Um, the It's actually kind of funny because as a child, I thought it was this grand adventure. I thought they like went to a lot of really fun places and like there was that creepy like skull that they have to like run around while they look for Christopher Robin. In reality, it's just Pooh and his friends dicking around for like an afternoon um, while Christopher Robin went to school for the first time. And it's all because of that fucking illiterate owl who who fucking just bullshits his way through reading a letter when in reality he can't read. Like, at all. And so it's, it's mostly his fault. Like, full stop. Um, it's fine. There's a couple of songs in there. They're nothing to write home about. Animation-wise, it's decent. You know, it's Winnie the Pooh. I hate shitting on Winnie the Pooh. But the only good fucking Winnie the Pooh movie is the first one from the 70s that I've seen. I'm about to watch one I've never seen before. So I could change my tune on that. That being said, I'm such a fucking fan of Winnie the Pooh and all of that stuff. I'm probably just... Yeah, I have five. It gets a five. It's, it's Winnie the Pooh. It's not offensive. It's not terrible. But it's definitely not... There's nothing deeper going on. You put this movie in for like a goddamn, you know, elementary school kid, preschool kid, and they're probably going to have a good time watching it. Anybody else, even for nostalgia, it didn't have a lot to offer me. And if, if I wanted to go on a Winnie the Pooh nostalgia trip, I would watch The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh and call it a day there. So 5 out of 10 for Pooh's Grand Adventure, The Search for Christopher Robin. And I, I you know, I thought I was going to, give that a higher rating because I'm like, oh, it's this movie. Like, I remember, I remember this shit, 1997. Yeah, yeah, I was fucking three when I saw, when this movie came out. So that probably explains quite a, quite a bit about it. Um, so yeah, up next is a movie I've never in my life seen. All right, fuck you. I'm not made of stone. I didn't cry. Shut up. Pooh's half a lot movie. Ugh, fuck you, you bastard ass twaddle shits. So, it's fairly recent, 2005. I mean, it's it's as iconic the cast as you can get. I mean, say what you will about Winnie the Pooh movies. But, I mean, Peter Cullen and Jim Cummings. And, I mean, it's the, it's the cast that you want for the Winnie the Pooh movie and Piglet who's been the exact same voice actor since the dawn of time um I believe I now believe he is dead I have not confirmed this basically it's the story of Rue really it's called Pooh's Heffalump movie but it's predominantly about Rue and Rue's desire to grow up and be one of the grown-ups and everybody treating him like a child so uh, when he comes up with the idea to go on a Heffalump expedition, 
uh, he ventures out on his own. And of course, in classic, this is how these movies go, uh, tradition, Rue finds the Heffalump before everybody else does. And the Heffalump is the best part of the fucking movie. Hands down. It's voiced by an eight-year-old kid, and that kid fucking killed it. That kid is adorable, and so Lumpy, the Heffalump, is fucking phenomenal. That's the best part of the film. If you don't like Luffy the Heffalump, I don't know what's wrong with you. The child was eight years old when he recorded this bit, and that is the pure heart and soul of this fucking movie. It is it is a kid in a kid's movie being a kid, and it does not get more innocent or lovely than that. And the movie actually gets kind of dark towards the end because Rabbit, Pooh, Tigger, and Eeyore spend the vast majority of the time Trying to capture the Heffalump. And once you know the Heffalump is an eight-year-old child named Lumpy, the second he, like, is put into a literal prison because of a trap that was set for him, and he can't get out, and he all he does is he curls up and he cries because his mom is missing. It's fucking morbid. And then, like, not 30 seconds later after Rue lets him out, everybody lassos this fucking child around the neck and begins to tug it's horrible it's really bad i'm sitting there being like jesus christ like rabbit poo tigger and eeyore are all a fucking kimbo ready to kill this fucking child it's surprisingly dark for a goddamn winnie the pooh movie i was not expecting that I'm sitting there being like, it's just going to be like whimsical pits and stuff like that. Nah, they straight up put him in jail and then tried to strangle him with ropes. It was awful. Um, and then, of course, the mom shows up and saves the day and the half-lums are just utterly fantastic. So, yeah, it's very, very innocent, very childlike. The music's not bad. The songs are pretty good. The animation's really good because it's Winnie the Pooh. It only takes like three fucking lines to draw any of these fucking characters. Uh, voice acting is really solid and it made me cry because you can't be human and not and not cry at an eight-year-old child sobbing his eyes out on screen in front of you saying how much he wants his mom it, I mean that's that's tugging the heartstrings 101 right there um, I thought it was really good actually for what it is uh, and what you would want from a movie like this it does exactly what it sets out to. 7 out of 10 for Pooh's Half One Movie. The Prince and the Pauper was originally a short film that got paired with uh, The Rescuers and The Rescuers Down Under theatrical releases in the early 90s. Um, so I think that's really funny because when Olaf's Frozen Adventure got uh, teamed up with a Disney movie, Everybody was livid that there was like a half hour fucking short at the start of a movie. Um, Prince and the Popper was like 22 minutes long. So that was not the first time Disney had ever dropped a, a big short in the theater for in, for like people to sit through before they actually got to see the thing they paid for. Um, but it's not bad. It's not nearly as bad as the Three Musketeers one. Um, it, you know, it's only like 20 minutes. It's, it's on a par with a Mickey Christmas Carol. It just tells the story pretty well it's got some disney humor in it um I'm, i was not familiar with this actor playing pete um but apparently this was uh like a you know not the original voice obviously but uh an in-between voice between the original and jim cummings 
Um, and he does a marvelous job. I don't know his name, but he did a really good job. It was a very different interpretation of the character, Pete. Uh, so I thought it was it was good. But yeah, it's 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 fine. I always thought The Prince and the Pauper was like uh, a much older story, but it's not. It's a Mark Twain story. Um, and this might sound a little weird, but that actually kind of ruins it for me. Um, I'm not a big Mark Twain fan. I don't like his books. Um, and so that did leave a sour note, um, on, on my experience watching this, finding out that it was Mark Twain. Um, and I know somebody's out there was like, it was so prolific. I don't give a fuck. I just, I just don't like him. Um, don't like his books. So yeah, it tells the, the story well and blah, of the animation's fine. The music's fine and it's good and Disney and classic Mickey Mouse, you know, hijinks and whatnot. So 7 out of 10, it's pretty good. Let's move on. So I had a mental rating for The Princess and the Frog before I went into seeing that movie. 2009, it came out. I remember the hype around that movie, to be perfectly honest, because up until that point, it really felt like Disney hadn't done a 2D animated film in quite some time. And they hadn't. Um, they, 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 like the movie that came out before this one was Bolt. So Disney really was going hard on the, the CGI animation. And of course Disney has returned to CGI animation, but the, the current CGI animation, um, like, um, uh, 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 fucking what decades groupings. This recent batch of Disney movies has just been incredible. Um, what were like tangled and frozen and shit like that. Um, so princess of the frog was, was a return to form, uh, for Disney in, in the hand drawn 2d animation scape. And, um, for me, jazz is very hit or miss. Um, I am just as liable to love a jazz song as I am to hate a jazz song. Um, but both princess and the frog and soul, um, have jazz that I fucking love. And it kind of surprised me that I enjoyed the music uh, in The Princess and the Frog so much because the composer is Randy Newman, who I have long had kind of gripes with. Um, don't get me wrong. some of, He's written some absolute fucking classics. Um, but then there's that fucking, you know, Bugs Life song where it starts off really strong and then it's just like... So they're not all winners. But I think this soundtrack is pretty good. Um, it definitely gets a little uh, much with the songs. Where it's like, here's a new character. They're going to sing a song. And that happens like four times in a row with each new character. And it's not that the songs are bad. It's just kind of, you know, it was a little formulaic. I can't really shit on it. That's what Disney does. You know, you, you have a character or you have a, a thing and you introduce them with a fucking song. Um, so it was not only was it a return to form with the 2D animation, but it was a return to form with the music and the musical side of things. So, you know, these are nitpicks. This movie is an 8 out of 10. Um, it's it's pretty fucking good. I mean, what can you say about it? It's funny. It's incredibly well animated. The characters are multifaceted. The music's really good. The story's a lot of fun. The villain's phenomenal. Like, Dr. Facilier is, like, 
probably the most iconic part of the entire fucking movie. Keith David, the voodoo shit. I loved, I love all that shit. Character design. I mean, his motives are a little one note, but like the fucking power he holds and how desperate he is to hold on to it and what happens to him in the end where he's basically dragged to hell, presumably. I don't know enough about the, the voodoo religion? Spiritual belief? I'm not entirely sure what voodoo is. Um, I know it's a legitimate thing uh, that uh, people can believe in. Um, my my current understanding of voodoo is that it's more of a more of a cultural thing than it is an actual like religion thing. So perhaps there's there's something like that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, so I have absolutely no idea if the representation of voodoo is accurate in this movie or if that's even possible to accurately represent voodoo in a movie um or at all like i'm not i have no idea what does bother me and this is this is a weird thing for me to say disney especially this recent batch of disney movies has been so on point we have a native american character in the movie we're going to cast a native american actor to portray them we have a Cajun Firefly in the movie, and the actor that performs that character is not Cajun. Um, is not even from Louisiana, and it's Jim Cummings. I fucking love Jim Cummings. You know I love Jim Cummings. He is phenomenal. But Disney couldn't find someone who had that accent legitimately and put them on the fucking put him in the movie. You had to you had to have somebody perform the accent. I don't know. It, it it seems like a it seems bad, you know. It's like you you guys are usually so good with this stuff, and that was a really obvious one. I mean, they don't, you know. I'm sure all the actors in the movie aren't from New Orleans. Like John Goodman's in there. I don't think he's from New Orleans. Keith David's in there. I don't think he's from New Orleans. Um, I think most of the singing cast is from Broadway. Um, not like they were born there, but you know what I mean. Um, so maybe it just wasn't really a concern there, but it really does seem like if you're going to do a movie that celebrates New Orleans and jazz, which this movie very much does, whilst simultaneously telling the frog prince story about, you know, you kiss the frog and you all that shit, um, you get kind of Shrek vibes from this, from this movie, and it's hard to not compare this movie to Shrek. Because Shrek is all about, like, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It's who you are on the inside that matters. You know, and that's who people fall in love with. And that's exactly what this movie teaches us as well. And that's a great lesson. I love that lesson. That lesson is 100% accurate. Except Shrek is still an asshole. Um, any way you slice it. He's just a continuous dick. And he never learns anything. And, like, tries to improve himself. He's constantly selfish and is a horrible monster. Um, but like I said before, this movie has very well-developed characters. They do have a, a multi-facet to them. Not like an incredible amount of death, let's be honest. This movie's only an hour and a half long, but enough that I can say that they are well-developed characters. And especially the fucking intro. It's like a goddamn musical, that intro. Oh my god, I had completely forgot about that. There's, a, there's an opening number where... The, like the prince arrives and there's a song and you see and meet like every major player in that song 
and you get an idea of what they're about as it happens and it kind of ends on this like this kind of wide shot where you see like you see tiana and you see john goodman and his daughter and you see facilier and you see the prince and you see you like see them all like kind of lined up and they kind of hang out on screen for a couple of frames like they would at the end of like a big opening number on broadway while the while the crowd applauds and it develops the characters it tells you the relations between the characters it shows you like what they're about and introduces the basic like setting of the movie all in one fucking song it's fucking magic it's the best scene in the movie and i had completely forgotten that that thing was in there it's so well done it's it is a fucking clinic on how to run that shit i was i was blown away by that because i've never seen uh or i'm sure i have but it really stuck out at me it's like that was excellent so fucking a plus on that um and it's because of you know, all of that thing. Why why I give it an 8 out of 10. It's not a perfect movie um, for my nitpicks, but they are nitpicks. It's an excellent movie. It's very, very good. Um, and after watching it again, I feel... I was a little sad when they announced that they were changing Splash Mountain to be a Princess and the Frog attraction. Because um, I, I fucking love Splash Mountain. It's one of my all-time favorite rides, if not my favorite ride that's at a Disney park. Um, but after seeing the movie again, since the news came out, I hadn't watched this movie in a long time. Um, I'm now just super ready for it. I think it, it, it'll lend itself really naturally to Splash Mountain. Um, I wonder if they're going to redesign it at all and kind of capture more of the, um, more of the, uh, the aesthetic of the Bayou versus the, uh, the Briar Patch. So I'm not entirely sure, but I am exhausted. And uh, I'm going to go to bed, and then when I wake up tomorrow, um, we'll watch some more. Uh, I've got one more movie uh, in alphabetical order, and then we're going to break uh, tradition and watch um, uh, two movies I've never seen before. So, actually, yeah, the one, two, the next three films I haven't seen before, and then we skip back to a movie I have seen before, and then we watch three movies... Um, that I don't remember anything about, and then a movie I've never seen, and then a movie I've never seen, and then a movie I've never seen, and a movie I've seen when I was like four, the movie I've never seen, I already saw that, so yeah, it's, the, the next batch of movies, for sure, really do consist of movies I have just never, ever, ever seen, that'll be fun. I tried to be objective with this next movie, the Proud Family movie. Um, and the reason I'm saying I try to be objective is because I did not watch that show when I was a child. Uh, it's not that I didn't think it was a good show, I just didn't watch it. Um, and since it's the movie about the show, um, I, I gave it a shot and to see like if it could hook me. Um, but the production quality of the movie is quite poor. Um, to the point where, like, the goddamn mouth flaps for their fucking characters and the words they're saying don't line up, like, nine times out of ten. And I'm sure it's, like, the art style, but everything was, like, the backgrounds were just, like, supremely simplistic, and it just reeks of having, like, no money to support this movie. Um, so I'm just, I'm not even gonna rate it, because I'm not a Proud Family movie fan. As, as a non-Proud Family fan i don't think the movie has 
a lot going on. It did nothing to interest me. Like, on the basis of it being, like, an intriguing movie, and I think that's where a lot of these, like, show tie-in movies kind of fail, is that they're long play episodes. They're not standalone movies. Um, like, I think, I think the Kim Possible movie very much benefited from having previous knowledge about the show. Um, but I think it also was a somewhat decent film. You know what I mean? There's, there's a, there's a difference. Um, and I, I don't really want to watch the Proud Family movie because I don't know anything about the characters. And I think that in and of itself is indicative of that. It's probably not a good movie because if it can't bring in people that aren't fans, you know what I mean? It relies on you having seen the show in order to enjoy the movie. And that's not how you make a movie. Um, that's how you make a very long episode of your show. And I'm not sitting here for an hour and a half being like, who are these people the entire time? Because that's just an incredible waste of my time. So yeah, just kind of straight up skipping it. I'm not even going to rate it. For all I know, if you're a fan of the show, it's really good. But if you're not a fan of the show, it's just completely inaccessible. So uh, no, just skip. Next. Moving on. probably gonna catch some flag for this one but i've never seen wreck it ralph until just this last little bit um it's all right it's it's not the best um but it's not the worst it's a nice sweet movie it gets like a seven out of ten i mean <laughs> I, I i would love to like dissect it and stuff like that but it's a pretty surface level film um, I know, like, the whole... I mean, Ralph is... Even even Ralph's supposed character complexity is fairly straightforward. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the characters are, are fine. Uh, the humor was a little... Um, childish, for, for my liking. Uh, a lot more in the, in the realm of poop jokes. And, uh, just, like, funny words. Like, you know, like, booger and stuff like that. It's, like, that kind of humor. Um, which I'm not against, but, uh, it's just, you know, it, <laughs> this might sound strange, but for the first Disney movie in a while, this one actually feels like it's meant for like a younger audience. I know, like, I just watched like a very heffalump movie and obviously that's meant for like children, but like the content of that movie wasn't really, you know what I mean? Like this one really did feel inside and out like it was meant for, for kids. It's a fine movie. Um, and I love Jack McBrayer. I, I think he's phenomenal. And it made me so fucking happy that he got to be in a big movie like this and be essentially himself. I thought that was great. Um, so big thumbs up for that. And I like Sarah Silverman a lot. I think she's very funny. Um, but the character, Vanellope Von Schweetz, didn't do a whole lot for me. Um... Notable scene for me was when Ralph smashed the cart. I thought that was great. That was very um, uh, impactful. I will say, um, you could you could see it coming, but it was still good. I loved Alan Tudyk's performance as King Candy, um, and the fact that he uh, was real to be like the Turbo guy. I thought was a fun twist. Um, I feel like I've been saying this a lot with these movies. They're all okay. Like, especially this round of movies. They're all just like, meh. You know, they all just, you know, they're not bad. None of them have been bad, really. Uh, just, you know, some of them, well, except for Pocahontas 2, which can suck a nut. Um, but, no, this one's pretty solid. It's above average. 
Um, but it's still, you know, it's like a 7 out of 10. Um, even all, like, the video game stuff, um, I didn't feel so much like it was pandering, uh, to, to that culture. There's been a couple of instances of things like that. Like, an Onward, its inclusion of D&D lore, I felt, like, was, was pandering. I felt like that was, was not as, as well done as this game's representation of video game stuff. Um, I'm really happy that the fucking only, like, there's the main plot. The only plot I fucking cared about was Qbert. Qbert's game got unplugged and he was homeless and that was super sad, but then he gets brought into the Wreck-It Ralph game at the end and I, I fucking loved that. That's the best part of the movie. Qbert's storyline gets a 10 out of 10 because fucking Qbert's adorable and I loved that. I thought that was great. Um, yeah, that was alright. I mean, eh, it's just, it was what it was. It was very straightforward. Um, it, it closed like all of its loops. You know what I mean? Like it presents a story thread and then it closes it off pretty dang well. Yeah, no, it's solid, solid seven out of 10. Solid seven out of 10. That's pretty much, I just don't have very strong opinions on this movie. It was, it was fine. Next one. So Ralph Breaks the Internet is better than Wreck-It Ralph, but it still gets a seven. Um, which is the exact same rating that Wreck-It Ralph got. So, in terms of story, like, it's a better story. It's got more going on. It's a more interesting story. But it's still just a seven. Um, and, I mean, that's that's basically it. I mean, it's kind of weighed down with all of the fucking internet references, which some of them were kind of fun. Like, the, the Twitter one I liked. I liked that, that uh, interpretation of Twitter. Um, I think, uh, you know, because it's a kid's movie, you can't showcase all aspects of the internet. Because if it did, then it would be mostly porn. Because such is the way of the internet. Um, I loved the bit with the Disney princesses. Uh, basically, the whole Disney thing was pretty solid. Um, there were a couple of weird side stories that just were kind of dropped and never really went anywhere, like uh, Fixit Felix and Calhoun being parents. That just never went anywhere. And um, that was just kind of it with them. Uh, the idea of like friendship and dependency upon friends and all that stuff is nice and refreshing to see in a movie. Can't think of many movies that really cover that topic. Um, and I feel like this did it fairly well. You know, the whole idea of like, you can't hold your friends back from their dreams and you got to let them go, go and grow and you'll still be friends. It just won't be the same. Like it was, you know, change isn't bad. All that shit. It was told very well there. Um, music was forgettable. I don't, you know, like the score is okay. If it's fine for the movie, but I don't really remember any of it. Um, uh, and I think, I think a little too, like the, the basic plot, right? Being a YouTube star to raise money to buy something off of eBay is that's a flat story anyway you slice it and there was way too much time spent on that subject matter in this movie um i feel like if it just focused on the friend side of things i know there had to be like something to kind of drive the plot forward but you could have come up with something better than that you really could have when you have something as wide and as versatile and as different and ever-changing as the fucking internet as your goddamn like, focal point of the movie, you can come up with something more interesting than having to buy something off of fucking eBay. What is this, the 90s? So, yeah, it was, it's, it's fine. It's better than the first one. 
but not in terms of score, 7 out of 10. Seven's Pixar offering Ratatouille has now been witnessed once again. It had been many a moon, many a year since I had seen Ratatouille because my memory of that film is pretty spot on to what I just experienced. Um, it's good. It kind of struck me where it's like you can really get exactly what you want um, when it comes to watching like a Disney movie. I want a movie about a rack that wants to be a cook in France. Well, you got it. You want a movie about Monster College? We got that too. It's They're weirdly specific movies. But what's also interesting about seeing them all together is that they start to lose some of their individualism. They start to lose some of their individual magic. Because I feel like if I saw Ratatouille as a standalone, completely separate from my eternal knowledge of all other Disney movies then I might think it was better than it actually is. Um, but because I'm watching them all in a batch like this, um, I recognize that the movie itself is good, but doesn't really offer much in terms of a new experience, um, which is kind of funny because that's one of the things of the movie is that uh, Eton Ego, Anton Ego wants a fresh experience or a fresh perspective. And the movie's fairly original, don't get me wrong, but the story itself isn't. You know, rising above your station, following your dream, people putting you down because of where you come from, you succeed despite adversity anyway, you know, classic story stuff like that. The character of Linguini is fine. Um, they are uh, more, more ir they're more grating than anything else. I was going to say irritating, but I don't think that's quite the right word because they didn't make me angry. Their personality and just the way they were um, just kind of scratched against my psyche as I was watching the movie. Colette is, is lovely. Skinner is a fairly ineffective villain. I feel like Ego is a more effective villain, but also he's not a villain for very long. Um, I also want to point out that Ego is voiced by Peter O'Toole, who is one of the greatest actors of the 20th century. Um, Lawrence of Arabia and all that shit. Even though I thought Lawrence of Arabia was dull as hell, but whatever. It's like a three and a half hour movie where not a whole lot happens. I think Martin Sheen's in that movie too, which is weird. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, performances were pretty good. Patton Oswald obviously like stole the show. Absolutely love the character of Remy. I love Patton Oswald. That shit's all fantastic. The music's really good. Of course, it's Pixar, so it's naturally gorgeous to look at. Um, and it does engender within me a desire to consume French cuisine. So, mission accomplished. Um, I'm very excited for the, the Ratatouille update to the French Pavilion in Epcot, uh, the World Showcase, coming up here pretty soon, where they will include the Ratatouille ride, which will be very fun. A uh, ride that already exists in um, Disney uh, uh, Disneyland Paris, uh, I believe. So that's fun. Um, and overall, it's a, it's a decent film. It's not going to blow your socks off, but it won't let you down. I give it a solid 7 out of 10. Hot off the heels of me skipping movies because I didn't watch the show. Looking at you, Pride family. We watch uh, the only movie out of these next three movies that I actually did see. And I think I might have even seen it in theaters. Um, and that was Recess Schools Out. A 20-year-old movie. Um, Jesus. Um, I loved Recess when I was a kid. Uh, it, it was fantastic. Um, I hadn't seen 
recess since um, I was a child, really. And uh, now that I've seen this movie, I kind of want to go back and watch it. Um, what Now, I'm going to try to do this without the, the hypocrisy of having seen the show. But I think School's Out is actually a, a somewhat decent standalone movie. And I think the difference is, um, at least in my opinion, the well, the animation is just way better than it was for Proud Family. The characters are so based around like not stare well i guess stereotypes they they fit a particular archetype of character so you kind of get a feel for what they're about uh pretty quickly also quick side out quite uh, side quick side note there we go that's what i wanted to say um vocal cast for this movie is kind of out of this world i want to give a shout out to the fact that i finally connected the dots on the fact that ashley johnson from critical role is Gretchen Grundle, um, Grundler rather, not Grundle. Uh, that had to be, she, I don't know, like, this movie was 20 years ago, so Ashley was 17 when she did the movie, so when she was doing, like, the show, she was a teenager, um, which I think is fucking adorable. Had to be one of her first voice acting roles. Um, and, I mean, she sounds the great. Uh, Pamela Adlin, uh, who has been in a ton of stuff. I think her current show is called Better Things. Um, but she was also in the goddamn Tinkerbell movies. So there's that. Melissa Joan Hart plays TJ's older sister. Robert Goulet, the incomparable, one of the best voices ever, uh, is the singing voice for, for Mikey Blumberg, um, which is hilarious. It's also kind of sad that this was the last theatrical released project that uh, Goulet was a part of before he passed away um, six years after this movie came out. Um, he did other stuff, like on Broadway and stuff like that in the intervening years, but this was the last movie he was ever in um, where he gets to sing John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt in Green Tambourine in his tremendous vibrato. Um, oh gosh, who else is in this movie? Clancy Brown, Dan Castan, uh, Castellaneta, who are... Yeah, I butchered that last name. Dan... Castellaneta, who's Homer in the fucking Simpsons, Clancy Brown, probably best known for being Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob, among a million other things. Arlie Emery is there, Tony Jay is there, Tress McNeil, uh, who was uh, Leela on Futurama, among a million other things. Just fantastic voice acting all over the place. Um, more than this, like, I would say that the, the acting quality of the movie is is higher quality than the movie really deserved and of course the bad guy is um james woods who i think is a monster so we're not really going to talk about him um but yeah i mean i think i think the characters are pretty uh common archetype understanding so you get a feel for what they're about without needing the previous knowledge of the show and you don't even need to know much about the show i mean it kind of tells you what the show is about in the title of the movie they're like recess that's kind of the whole thing and sure, there are a lot of bit characters uh, and in-jokes that you wouldn't appreciate um, having not seen the show and watching this movie, but that's whatever. Um, that's I think that's the case with a lot of things. Like, if you didn't read the book, for example, then you go in and you're going to miss some shit. Um, let's talk about the plot of this movie, because the plot of this movie is fucking nuts. So, it's summer vacation, and... All of TJ's friends have camps that they're going to. Like baseball camp, science camp, military camp, uh, theater camp, and wrestling camp. And um, uh, TJ doesn't go to camp. 
his parents like have a little side comment where they're like, we should have sent him to a camp. And I'm like, well, first of all, why are you just now finding out that all of your friends are going to camp? Like the fucking day before they go to camp. Wouldn't you have talked about that like earlier? Um, and if you did talk about that earlier, then TJ could have gone to a fucking camp. Of course, if TJ went to camp, none of this movie would have happened. Uh, so what happens is TJ gets, you know, bored and he's just, like wandering around class or town or whatever the fuck. And he sees some creepy shit going on in the school. And so he goes to investigate and he sees this big fuck all laser and he goes to get the principal. And the principal comes over and gets like, um, he, he tries to unlock the door and then gets fucking disintegrated. And that never gets explained ever. It doesn't explain how he was disintegrated. It doesn't explain why he just later shows up without any pants on, um, or why he tucks his shirt into his underwear. None of that gets explained. So this movie like does things for bits and then they just kind of forget about it and then just move on. And it's, it's all to do with James Wood's desire to eliminate summer vacation and his plan to get rid of summer vacation is to alter the position of the moon uh, so that the uh, global weather falls all out of whack, right? And air quotes gets rid of summer because his theory is that he, if he adjusts the moon, he will change the weather patterns in North America so that it's just eternal winter. Um, that's not how that works at all. Um, and his his citations for like countries that like have really good test scores are all of like the really cold countries. Um, so I think he says like Scandinavia and Canada and stuff like that. Um, and it, it was funny to me because he tries so hard to change the weather to get rid of summer vacation when if he wanted to go that route as the secretary of education for the country, all he really needed to do was look at countries that don't really do summer vacation. If you look at the Japanese school system, they have school six days of the week, pretty much year round. Um, with like extended breaks here, there, and everywhere. Like they'll have like two weeks off, so many weeks on, two weeks off, so many weeks on. It's like that kind of thing. So it's it's bizarre to me that his his grand plan to eliminate summer vacation is that not institute a summer school program as like oh I don't know an alternative to camp like Running Start, which is a thing. You know, like it's the the plot of the movie is flabbergasting. And then what's even more flabbergasting is that his group of guards and ninjas, for some reason, gets taken out by water balloons, uh, playground balls, and uh, ketchup and mustard. Those were those were the weapons that the kids came in with. Um, if you're going to bombard guards with playground balls, don't pick fucking kickballs that will just kind of bounce off harmlessly. You want baseballs. You want lacrosse balls. You want fucking things that are going to hurt. Also, the idea of anybody being taken out by a single water balloon is laughably hilarious to me. However, this movie does really play strongly on the all-time classic um, thing about being a kid in elementary school. Which is that whole, like, honest to God, it's a 60s mentality of rebelling against the man, against authority. How many kids had, like, daydreams of, like, fighting against the teachers, you know, and being like, uh, you know... We're going to take over the school. You can't tell me what to do. You know, like, rebellion, basically. That's all it was. And they actually do play on that with the idea of, like, a lot of the teachers being from the 60s. And, like, that was their mentality. And then, of course, James Woods comes in and he talks about how he needs to think about his career and he can't be a hippie anymore. And, you know, it's it's actually a good parallel. 
between those classic ideals of childhood rebellion and the rebellion of the 60s against the man. Um, and I think I think this movie does capture a lot of those old school... I say old school in re- reference to being a child. Captures a lot of the ideals of being a kid. You know, like the joy of summer vacation. Even the reminiscing from the adults being like, these are some of the best years you're ever going to have. Because after that, it's just like all work and whatever. Um, and I, I challenge those state don't get me wrong being kid is great going to college is great life right now is still pretty fucking cool like the way the way that always comes off where it's like oh man you kids don't appreciate how good you've got it and they don't kids don't appreciate how good they got it which is always the case but you also have to appreciate how good you got it now you know what i mean it's not like your life fucking blows right now i mean it might but it'll always get better um and it's not like those times are great but these times are great too and i i think those statements can can sometimes give the impression that being an adult blows and yeah there are bits that do suck but there are bits that rock as well like i have money and i can do things with my money i could i could if it wasn't for covid and a million other reasons but i could book a trip and go anywhere i want like next week i just i can make that call uh, you know i could just and i'm gone you can't do that as a kid child childhood gives you like you have freedom as a kid but it's not ultimate freedom you know it's not the amount of freedom you get with being an adult on a day off with no plans and all of these resources to do whatever you want that's ultimate freedom there's nothing that you can't do as an adult really if I wanted to go to a goddamn playground, I might get weird looks, but I could do that. I could do that. Or go to the beach, you know, climb a tree. I could do these things. I can do all the things that you do as a child. And the whole bonding with friends, you do that with, you know, video games or go to a bar. Like, you could still do it. D&D, fucking, don't even, don't even talk about it. So, I love this movie. I really do. It, it captures a lot of nostalgia for me, not only from being a child... But from watching the show as a child. And so it's like a double whammy of nostalgia. But even if I take the nostalgia goggles off of it, this movie's fun. The plot's super stupid. The the whole idea of like freezing the globe. Uh, I mean, if if what his little hologram showed came to pass, he would actually just end up killing the entire planet. Um, again, I'm pretty sure that's not how that would work. Um, which is odd because in terms of the 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 names. Like the 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 name for the cl- the moon being the closest point to the planet is called lunar perigee. The movie got that right. That was correct in the movie. Um, but like everything else about the science of this movie was just like fucking way off. Um, I'm gonna give this movie a goddamn God. I mean, for me and all my personal biases, I'd probably give it like an eight. I know that seems really high. Um, if I wasn't such a big fan of not only what this movie is about, but the the characters as well. Um, and I, I would be lying if I said the fact that Ashley Johnson was one of the main characters didn't influence me a little bit. If I get rid of my personal bias, it's probably closer to a six. So take that as you will. It's still solid. Plot's super dumb. Music's a lot of fun. Animation's exactly what the show was if it has some weird CG moments. Um, it's just like, it'll make you laugh. You'll laugh at how dumb this movie is. It's a it's a good time, and unlike a lot of the other movies I've seen on these on this fucking list, I had fun watching it. So much fun, in fact, that I was I was all set to just skip past the other two movies, 
But now I'm like, all right, all right, let's let's give him a shot. I've only ever seen the one I just saw. So I'm going to watch. And that was the only one that got a theatrical uh, release. The other two were straight to TV movies. So it could be super shitty, but we're going to find out. Recess all growed down. Um, rather than all grown up, which was the, the Rugrats thing on Nickelodeon. Um, I'm not sure if that came out before or after, but the, the recess all growed down was the first, uh, straight to, uh, DVD, straight to video. It was on TV special that they did for recess. And this is an anthology movie, uh, with a loose narrative construction around three episodes of the original show. Stop me if you've heard this story before. It's okay. I mean, it's, I, at least it's, I believe there are three episodes of the original one. I think the last story may have been unique for the movie, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, and I don't particularly care to check. It's fine. It's a, it's a basically about how the recess kids were as kindergartners. I wish it was more of like an origin story about like how they met as, as kids um, but that one doesn't really work out since uh, Gus canonically uh, moved uh, in fourth grade to be like the new kid um, and then joined in like their their band of merry adventures. Um, at least that's my recollection of the show and what uh, Schools Out told me. Um, it's fine. It's it's not the best anthology movie I've ever seen. I think that honor is still I can't remember what I said the best anthology movie was, but it's not this one. Let's put it that way. Um, so I guess a, your, your standard five out of 10, it's, it's fine. Um, but it's not going to, not going to blow your goddamn mind. And finally for this week, we will talk about the third and final recess movie, uh, taking the fifth grade, which is the, which was actually the, the final, um, straight to video movie that recess ever came out with this one came out in when did this one come out 2003 um the schools that came out in 2001 and all guard down came out also in 2003 um i believe this one came out afterwards though i enjoyed this one um the second best out of out of all the movies i think schools out is a better movie um but taking the fifth grade is a better anthology movie because unlike All Grow Down, which was basically uh, three episodes of the original show um, centered around like a loose new narrative, Taking the Fifth Grade was three new stories centered around being fifth graders and them kind of growing up. And what I liked about this is that it really did seem like a good send off to the show, you know, like it kind of wrapped it up all nicely. Um, cause they spend their, all, all of the other seasons in the show in fourth grade. And then in this, in this one movie, they move on to fifth grade. And at first it's different and it's not exactly what they think it's going to be. And they, they go through like a lot of changes in the course of this movie in terms of like growing older and coming to terms with no longer being fourth graders and thinking about their futures and stuff like that. And it's actually kind of insightful. Like it's... That's I think I think that's one of the reasons why recess resonates so well with audiences is that these are really universal themes um and they're told through like the the viewpoints of kids but they're not told in like a dumbed down way like 
sure, in taking the fifth grade, they do kind of beat you over the head with their morals, but they're still good morals. They're still solid lessons um, about, you know, like, life sometimes changes and there's nothing you can really do about it, but you can still find happiness as long as you, like, still have your beliefs and have your group of friends and no matter what, you can all overcome. Like, I think, I think recess has one of the strongest friend groups out there. Um, in, in terms of like kid TV shows, like it's a really strong group of friends and they all like play off of each other so well. And they all have like this kind of upbeat attitude, but they can also still have problems or, or self identity crises and their friends will be there to support them and like lift them up. It's, it's really good. And the, I, I mean, it, all, after watching all these things, I just kind of want to watch the show now. I want to go back and like rewatch the show because I just, I had so much fun with these characters, um, in these three movies. It was just, it was just a goddamn joy and taking the fifth grade really does send them off nicely. Like I would love to see these characters grow up and experience like middle school and high school and all that stuff. But I mean, their, their vision of the future is pretty bright and you see a decent chunk of the fifth grade. Um, like from the beginning of the school year to Halloween, like that's a couple of months, you know, you see, you see a good chunk and you got a good feeling that they're going to, they're going to be okay. Those kids are going to be fine. And, um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the stories. I thought they were good. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just really solid and it's all tied together really nicely. Um, solid seven out of 10. One of the, one of the better anthology movies. Um, I think in terms of it, like telling the three stories, they don't get much smoother than this. They're all tied together with narration, but it, the whole thing is presented um, in such a way that it just, it, it feels nice. Um, it's not a movie in that it's like a classic movie structure. It really is just three stories tied together, but it's done pretty well. So thumbs up for, for Reese's taking the fifth grade. And now I just want to go back and watch all of those fucking episodes. How many episodes of Recess are there actually? Uh, search. Recess. Uh, recess. 1990, so there are three seasons of the original show. Um, Jesus. It, I mean, it looks, animation-wise, it looks pretty bad. Kind of, I still kind of want to go back and watch it. I think that'd be, think that'd be fun. Um, yeah, that'll do it for, for this week's episode of, uh, reviewing Disney movies. Uh, we covered some ground in this one, that's for sure. Um, and what did we do? End up talking about, we talked about a handful of movies. It was, it was a good time. Um, the next batch of movies is going to be pretty interesting. A lot of ups and downs and, um, a lot of movies we've already seen because we're getting pretty close to that, uh, that Tinkerbell, uh, stretch of movies. So we're actually pretty fucking close. Probably got one to two more episodes, um, out of this, out of this whole shebang. So we're getting kind of close to it, getting, getting close to the end gonna be sad but i cannot wait to be done with this so i can tell people at parties that i watched all the animated disney movies on disney plus and then they can turn around and be like why and i'll be like i don't have a good answer for it see you next time